All right, Bon Appetit Foodcast. I'm Adam Rappaport. Before we get to the show this week, we just launched a cool new daily column on bonappetit.com called Highly Recommend. If you're ever curious where like Julia Kramer or Alex Laney or all our editors are eating and drinking and shopping, this is the column for you. Every day we will have a cool new spot that we're into and what to do there and what to buy there and what to eat there. You can find it at bonappetit.com slash highly recommend or just look for it on our Instagram feed. All right, this week's show. First up, we have a carrot cake roundtable because, believe it or not, we now have a carrot cake recipe on each of our verticals. There is BA's Best Carrot Cake, developed by Claire Saffitz on BA.com. There is a gluten-free carrot cake, which is surprisingly good, on Healthy-ish, developed by Chris Morocco. And now there is a recently published carrot loaf cake on basically created by Molly Boz. So I sit down with the three of them to talk about how each cake is different and yet similar. And then after that, I chat with senior editor Emil Stonic about a little guy he edited for our April issue of Bon Appetit called Clean Up Your Act. You know what I'm talking about. We talk about the importance of freezer clean out, how to organize your fridge, what to do with that junk drawer in your kitchen. We all have one. It's okay. Emil provides guidance that we can all use. All right, let's do this. Here is Molly, Claire, and Chris. Guys, we're talking carrot cake, and I was debating whether or not to leave this to the end or maybe just naturally come up in the course of conversation, but I'm just going to cut to it right now. Raisins or no raisins? Raisins. No raisins. Whoa. Going to have to say no raisins based on my recipe. Oh, okay. That was Molly Boss speaking over there. Hello. With the loaf carrot cake. Claire Saffitz with the BA's best carrot cake, no raisins. Well, the raisins are optional because I don't want them in there. But that's not to say that someone else who likes raisins shouldn't put them in their carrot cake. Well, why don't you want them in there? I don't like the wet, soft texture of raisins. So these are actually soaked in rum in the recipe, which I think does add a good flavor component. But I just don't like chewy, sweet raisins and already sweet baked goods. Which is not to say that I don't like raisins at all, because I do, but I like them in more savory. See, that's kinds of weird because I'm with you. Like, I hate when you get like your mom, like as a kid, would give you the cheese Danish or something in the car, and you take a bite and you get these weird squishy raisins in there, and you're like, ah. But I've come around to raisins. I love like I make a celery salad, a celery sort of almond salad mm. with parsley and stuff, and I'll throw some like little yellow raisins soaked in yeah. some like rice so, wine so vinegar. So savory. Yeah, or sometimes like in a pilafy sort of you know sort of situation. But for some reason, like in a cake, I'm like, no, no, no. Agreed. Because they're already so sweet. And I think it takes a sweet dessert to like a cloying kind of place. So I leave them out. But I know like if you like raisins in your care cake, because that's what you always had growing up, definitely put them in. But I'll say one thing, which is that the walnuts are not optional because I always want walnuts you need or some, some kind of nut. A pecan is great, too. Ooh. But I want that in there. Boz? I beg to differ on that one. Mm. Whoa. Because... I love a well-toasted crunchy walnut as well, but when it gets baked into the loaf and then it's getting hydrated from the batter, I feel like it's crispy, gone soggy in a bad way for me. I like that. But again, as long as it's well-toasted to begin with, which oftentimes they're not. Okay. So we're going to talk about the differences (laughs) and similarities between these three carrot cake recipes. But just to be clear, so Claire, in yours... There are walnuts, but there aren't raisins. Optional. Optional, but in your in your perfect world, yes, there'd be correct. no raisins, but there would be walnuts. Molly, in yours, there would be raisins, but no walnuts. No raisins, no walnuts. 
No raisins or no raisins or walnuts? No raisins. No walnuts in maybe on top. Are there I, carrots in your carrot cake? There are carrots. I thought you were a raisin fan. <laughs> I no, just... Chris is the raisin fan. I'm the raisin oh fan. Oh, my God. Because okay. you're all of you wrong. <laughs> I have raisins. I have walnuts. And I have carrots. Yes, I have it all. But I've got a very savory forward cake here. I've got almond meal standing in for my flour because it's gluten-free. You know, I've got virgin coconut oil, so it's got that like bright, you know, kind of tropical coconut flavor. But uh, not just any raisins, golden raisins. For me, golden raisins get a pass in places where regular raisins just don't belong. Okay, well, this is not a raisin podcast. This is well, a carrot cake be. podcast. So before we get into the specifics of each recipe, Chris, I'm going to ask you a question. Sure. Why do we need three carrot cake recipes on bonappetit.com? You know, I think if there's one thing that we've learned, it's that we have a lot of different groups of people looking at different the content that we create, depending on what vertical, you know, or what site that they're going to, right? Is there some overlap between somebody who is a basically, you know, devotee, you know, versus healthy-ish? Like maybe, but I feel like they're distinct communities. So I feel like we tailored carrot cake recipes to suit, you know, what all those different people are looking for. Claire's just being, you know, kind of like the the most, you know, kind of close to the original, you know, most delicious, straightforward, no twists, right? Molly, you're approaching it like from like a, you know, looking at how many ingredients you're putting in. And for a, for more of a beginning baker than right. an expert baker. It's it's in a loaf pan, which is just like, you know, so you don't need to have cake pans and, you know, springform pan or whatever. You know, and then I have like the the healthiest, you know, the gluten-free one, you know, for people who just want, you know, the flavors of the classic, but maybe just ever so slightly lighter. Um, you wouldn't necessarily know it's gluten-free, but it's, you know, it has at least a nod to health in the form of, you know, some Greek yogurt in the frosting and um, like I said, like the almond meal um, and the lack of gluten from flour. And I'll just want to add one thing. I think carrot cake as a dessert lends itself very well to gluten-free baking because it's naturally very moist from the carrots and and usually it's oil-based. So it felt like a natural dessert to adapt for more of a healthy-ish audience, which maybe has some gluten, you know, once more gluten-free kind of things and and more like sort of health-forward ingredients. Sure. Okay, Claire, can you start us off like what constitutes a classic carrot cake in terms of the actual cake itself before we get to the frosting. I'd love to. (laughs) So to me, carrot cake is an oil-based spice cake that has carrots added to it. Like at at its core. What does oil-based mean? What does that mean? Not not butter. Not a butter-based cake. What what is a butter-based cake, for instance? Your classic like yellow cake, birthday cake, white cake, all starts with creaming, butter, and sugar together. Oh. So carrot cake is a little denser than those butter-based cakes because you're not doing that initial stage of whipping together the sugar and the butter. Sort of aerating Which aerates, right. Okay. Did you know that, Molly? I knew it. Mm, Professional over there. Yeah, these guys are pros. (laughs) So an oil-based cake, rather, you start typically, I mean, sometimes there are cakes that you just like mix all the wet and all the dry and you stir them together and that's it. Um, In this cake, you start by whipping the eggs and the sugar and that does work a little bit more air into it. Whole eggs? uh, Whole eggs, Yeah. yeah. And then you add in the oil, and that emulsifies you like it. Like that question, Molly. Like sometimes you can separate the eggs, you know. Good, great question, yeah. Adam. <laughs> <laughs> but overall, that like it's a denser texture than your average butter cake. Um, and there's a lot of ingredients kind of weighing it down, also like the carrots and whatever add-ins, walnuts, raisins, what have you. Um, but I think at its core, carrot cake is like a well-spiced cake, oil, so it's much more moist, a little bit denser, and then there's carrots added to it. 
So you can, you know, it's a similar, you can do a similar style with other kinds of ingredients, like parsnip cake became kind of a trendy thing, Mm -hmm. Um, like zucchini bread, that kind of thing where it's essentially like the same kind of base. This one just has carrots. So you make a batter, an oil-based batter mm-hmm. with eggs and sugar and whatnot and flour, regular white flour in yours? This no. has, this is an AP flour, I believe. And then you are to that adding the shredded carrots, walnuts. Mm-hmm. Warm spices. War, yeah, so, yeah, let's talk about the spices. So this one has cinnamon, ground ginger, nutmeg. Um, I don't really like nutmeg at all, but I do think it's right in a carrot cake. There's something to me that like can read very soapy. Mm. Um but I like that combination of spices. You, if you're like a clove person, you really love that super spicy hit, you can add that. Cardamom is another one that like kind of does the same kind of work in a cake. Um, but I like the kind of classic combo of cinnamon, ginger, and nutmeg, and they all work together really well. Are those spices in all three of your cakes? Well, I had to make a choice here because I have oh. only a few <laughs> ingredients to work with. So well, well, talk, talk to us about that. Okay, so basically recipes never exceed basically 10 ingredients. being the website not just basically as a word you say before right. you start so the sentence. recipes <laughs> that i develop for basically never exceed 10 ingredients which makes it particularly hard when we're baking because there's a set number of ingredients that are necessities so then beyond that i had to make some cuts and so as claire was just saying cinnamon and ginger are fundamentals those are both in there and that's ground ginger ground ginger and ground cinnamon i did not use nutmeg something had to go yeah. so my version of the cake is actually, I think, really true to what Claire just said, which is it's its most pared down fundamental version of a spice cake. That's what it is. It's an oil-based cake. There are warm spices in it, and there are carrots in it. There aren't nuts. There aren't raisins. There's none of the extra add-ins because I had to simplify. And talk to us about going with the loaf as opposed to the rounds. Yeah, I think for starters, People think that loaf cakes are easier to make than regular cakes, even if they can be made just the same way and baked in a 10-inch round cake pan. Um, But also just because our basically reader is more likely to own a loaf pan and have made banana bread, for example, or zucchini bread in the past. Or meatloaf. Um, Or meatloaf in a loaf pan. Do you put meatloaf? No, you don't. You you do it actually more like in a regular baking pan. Yeah, Yeah, not so much the meatloaf. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, we could try it. Because um, the fat would have nowhere to go, right? It's just kind of, yeah, it sort of half poaches in there, but yeah, which I'm kind brown. of into. Could though. be all right. Yeah. Brown top, Especially if you're going to crisp it after, like yeah. in a skillet. Anyway, digress. <laughs> <laughs> um, that's why I chose to use a loaf cake. Um, I didn't want to cripple my reader by saying that it had to be made in a nine inch or a 10 inch cake pan that they'd have to go out and get it. So this is your easy entry carrot cake. And then also doing the layer thing where you have two cakes and you put the frost in it and all that and kind of slicing off the top. It's a big lift. Yeah. So, wait. Claire is raising her We're being signaled. Yeah. I just have to add an addendum to my description of the cake because there's one is important. Is that done in adding an addendum? Yeah, or I, guess I guess so. No, I have I an addendum yes. to my earlier discussion of the BA's best carrot cake. Just about one one thing that makes it different than your classic carrot cake. And there is one anecdote, which is I based this recipe on my mom's carrot cake recipe, which I believe she got from... <laughs> the Bach for more cookbook, which was the Cleveland Symphony Orchestra's like community Bach. cookbook, oh, Bach. yes, um, which is an excellent carrot cake. But I added buttermilk, so that's something you don't typically see in a carrot cake. But I added it one because it just tenderizes the cake overall, but also because in this recipe, one issue that I have with carrot cake often is that so an average cake, like in a layer, 
bakes for like a half an hour or so. Um, and in that time, I often find that the carrot like doesn't soften fully. And I really don't love the texture of like al dente carrots in the carrot cake. So in, in my recipe, you start by grating the carrots and soaking them in the buttermilk mixture. Mm. Um, and then you add that in later when you're, you're alternating with the dry ingredients. So that tenderizes so, the carrots. Right. So it kind of st- starts to soften them before they get added to the batter. Well, okay. So carrots, like A, does it matter what kind you use? B, does it matter? Is it a box grater? Is it a Cuisinart? Like how fine or not fine should the shredded carrots be? I feel like it doesn't matter that much. I mean, you can go coarse, you can go medium, great. You can do it in the food processor with the discs to grate them quickly, which is always really easy. Or you, I mean, because box graters don't have standard sizes for the holes of the grates. I don't think it matters that much, but certainly if you're going for a much coarser texture, then they might not soften and bake all the way through the way a finer grate might. Finer grate, I mean, at least for my purposes, like felt like it was just going to release so much water that I was going to end up with like carrot mush. Okay, so, so there's a video of Chris Morocco uh, making his that's gluten-free why I carrot myself. cake. <laughs> and that is an interesting moment in the video, which reminded me of when I make potato latkes, is when mm-hmm. you're taking these handfuls of grated carrots and squeezing out all the excess water that's naturally within carrots. Talk about that. Yeah, I just felt like it was essential for controlling the moisture in the cake. You know, to to Claire's point about, you know, an oil-based cake, you know, it lends itself towards being this, like, kind of more moist cake just because oil, you know, stays fluid at room temperature. So you really get that that sensation of richness when you eat it. Um, But in terms of controlling the moisture in the cake, you know, um, I don't know. Did you squeeze your carrots out? No, and they soak in the buttermilk, Wild. so they do start to release some liquid. Interesting. But I'm not opposed you might, you to might the idea. You might want to try it, Claire. I would, and then <laughs> and then you can. So you're releasing basically water, and yeah. then you can replace that liquid back in with a more flavorful liquid, you know like what? a you yogurt. Know I think BA's best carrot cake might need an addendum. <laughs> <laughs> well, I um, I I had five eggs in my cake because I needed to build like a huge amount of volume. You know, ribboning right. my That's eggs with my sugar. That's the structure of my cake because it's gluten free. You know, so I had a lot of moisture being introduced in the form of those eggs. And then I also needed to get my fat in there, you know, my my coconut oil in my case. Already I had a plenty moist enough batter. So then it becomes a question of, okay, well, how do you control the other, you know, sort of wet variables? And that meant I I just I had to squeeze those carrots out. You also don't have you don't use flour in yours. So that's not hydrating all of that liquid that you're no, that the carrots are releasing. Right. I'm using almond meal, which I mean doesn't really hydrate maybe it at all. hydrates the like five percent so or the, something. The one major difference in your recipe, Chris, is that you're substituting almond meal for, for regular white flour. Yeah. Any other major differences in terms of the gluten freeness or are you just and also no. adding some things like coconut and coconut oil for flavoring and quote unquote healthiest vibes. Exactly. But yeah, I mean and it and it's hard. I mean it's it's a it's a very standard cake and I think part of showing it, you know, in that that two layers you know, very classic kind of cake format was just kind of convincing people, at least, you know, by eye that like this is just as delicious as Claire's cake, you know, Ooh. Um, well, <laughs> and and, you know, is leaving nothing behind. One thing that surprised me, because I remember tasting versions of your cake when you were making it. And what surprises me is that for a gluten free cake, it has like a very distinct crumb, this sort yeah. of way that the cake kind of comes apart and crumbles into these pieces that really mimic is very, very similar to like a classic carrot cake. So I was super impressed. Interesting that you mentioned the word crumb, because that was going to be my next question. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Your cake, Claire, the BA's best, seems to have a, you know, I don't want to say it's crummy, but you just look at the photo, um, 
and it looks, has some nice crumminess, and it's I don't want to say it's loose, but kind of a little bit loose. Molly's, yours has a very dense, moist texture, and I'm curious what you did with your loaf cake to get at that more sort of dense moistness compared to Claire's, which has a, just visually, you can see the crumb, how different it is. Yeah, well, so back to the constraints on basically, we I didn't want to use a hand mixer or a stand mixer in the recipe. So unlike in Claire's, I'm not whipping, beating eggs and sugar together to create volume and space. So naturally, the crumb of the cake is a little bit denser because I haven't created that space in the cake. But also, Claire's has buttermilk as an additional liquid, and mine has cream cheese in the actual batter as well mm-hmm. as a way because I use cream cheese in the frosting later on. So as a way as of using that ingredient twice. Um, oh, so, it's, so it counts as one of the 10 ingredients that you can double I mean, up on. You can use Ooh, the same clever. ingredient twice. Yes. So the cream cheese gets split in half, and then half of it is there, which brings a lot of richness and moisture to the cake, but it also makes it denser. If you think about cream cheese at room temperature, it's thick and dense. Yeah. Claire, while I loved your BA's Best Carrot Cake, I really enjoy cake that does have that dense moistness like Molly's, that when you slice it, it just feels solid mm-hmm. to it. You get like a clean, yeah, smooth slice. Yeah, a clean slice. It doesn't crumb off, doesn't leave crumbs on the plate typically. Right. Well, I have two things about that. Okay. One is I think one of the reasons why visually the BS Best Care Cake does that is because there's these inclusions like the walnuts mm-hmm. and they drag. They tear. Like they oh, tend to produce yes. visually a slice with more texture. More going on. More going on. And then also with a loaf cake, even, you know, as Molly pointed out, like the way that the batter was mixed there's not as much air worked into it, but also just the height of a loaf cake and because of gravity, like you have a heavier amount of batter over a smaller surface area. So it tends to not bake as light because it's like a brick just sitting there, right. whereas on a, a round pan, it kind of spreads out right. more surface area and air. Right, exactly. Oh. Which is often why you see sometimes with um, like quick breads at the very, very bottom, mm. there's sort of a denser little layer. Yeah. And that's because it's just a lot of batter like weighing down on itself. But yeah, because now I think about it, and we've done a lot of, um, you did the pumpkin bread last year, which was one of my favorite recipes. We also had that uh, recipe for chocolate coconut pound cake, which I want to say, no, it wasn't gluten-free. It had oh. uh, all-purpose flour in it. But that was also really dense. And I, I, don't know, I kind of like that for what it is as mm-hmm. a departure from some sort of more cakes with a typical crumb. Oh, wait, you have one, well, something else to say. Well, I don't know if you're going to change, like, for, to go, moving on to the next topic, but I think, like, p- a requisite part of the conversation has to be cream cheese frosting, which we all opted for, but maybe slightly d- d- slightly different variations. I just get very upset when I see a carrot cake that doesn't have cream cheese frosting. Non-negotiable. Yeah, I, I didn't even try to change that. No. I mean, that, I, mean I just, I threw, I threw in the, you know, the Greek yogurt just as a nod to, to healthishness, but I mean. Mine doesn't have butter. Who's I kidding? Oh, yours is all cream cheese. Because it's wow. an oil-based cake and I can't just uh. call for butter. Mm-hmm. So my cream cheese frosting is comprised of just sugar, vanilla extract and cream cheese, which is softened and just paddled a bit until the sugar dissolves and it's spreadable. So it's kind of like a cheater's cream cheese frosting. But I think that at the end of the day, the point is people want sweetened cream cheese with their carrot cake. And that's kind of... I would go so far as to say every cake should have cream cheese frosting. <laughs> I don't, so I don't necessarily disagree. Yeah, so what's in? So yours, what is your cream cheese frosting? Mine's a, it's a very classic cream cheese frosting. So it's butter... And cream cheese, although I th- I, if I remember correctly, the ratio is one to two, butter to cream cheese. 
I'm gonna and, t- I'm gonna tell you right now because I'm looking at the right. website. Yeah. It says twelve ounces cream cheese at room temp, and then three fourths of a cup unsalted butter room temp. So, to, so that's like six ounces. Yeah, that's right. So so one yeah, to two. two. To one. Okay. And then just powdered sugar. So this is like this style of frosting is like an American buttercream, which is just typically like butter, powdered sugar, maybe a little bit of liquid in the form of milk typically. But for cream cheese frosting, you're just subbing in cream cheese where there would be only butter. So it's really easy. You whip it together. It smooths out so beautiful. This is like a great frosting for adding a lot of texture to a cake because it's so kind of light and fluffy and you really want to like swirl it. Um, but it's super easy. You know, it doesn't require a lot of technique the way that like a buttercream does. And it's so good and it works so well no on egg yolks every cake. Or whites in there. No yeah. meringue, yeah. Not, nothing like that. Cream. Chris, you're the same ratio. You're you're doing yeah. eight ounces cream cheese to half a cup, which is four ounces of butter. Uh, exactly. And then some powder, gluten-free powdered sugar and the Greek yogurt. What does the Greek yogurt do to the texture and the flavor? It's just adding a little bit of extra tang. It's also, you know, cream cheese, to your point, I mean, it is like kind of miraculous in frostings of all kinds, you know, because it has this stiffness in this body and this tang, so it really plays off of sweetness so, like, wonderfully. Um, But the Greek yogurt was really just a way to kind of, like, build in a little bit of additional lightness and a little bit of additional tanginess into that frosting. Um, and we felt like we couldn't do just a hundred percent straight classic, you know, cream cheese frosting for healthyish. We needed to just do something, so we just lightened it up, you know, honestly by degrees. Cool. So, guys, you can find all three of these recipes on bonappetit.com for BA's best carrot cake. That's Claire's, uh, Chris's gluten-free carrot cake, which is which lives uh, over on the healthyish website, and the newest addition to the family. Molly's. What are we calling this one, Molly? I don't know. I have a working title here: easiest peasiest carrot loaf cake. But wow, <laughs> I, don't, <laughs> I think I don't think, think we're gonna go with. I don't that. think you, I don't think you get that many words on basically. Yeah, like I don't know how we landed on that. I don't. It remains to be named. Well, you'll know it when it comes out. And uh, listeners, if you let us know, raisins or no raisins, you can email us bonapetitfoodcast at gmail dot com. Thanks, guys. Thanks. Thank you. Thank you. Clean the kitchen. Do you really though, Emil? Because we're rolling right now, and you have cooked meals with me or by yourself in my house. You leave kind of a. I don't a, love to a, clean. No, <laughs> you know, I I will say though, I feel like as uh, you know, I'm a I'm an older man now. I'm 30. Mm. I, I feel like my enthusiasm for cleaning has increased over the years. Like my like wanting to have like wanting to have everything cleaned up. Like what you know, cleaning as I go, making sure that things are clean before guests show up. Those are things that I feel like I'm slowly growing to like really feel a lot more excited about. Well, first question. I feel like, and I don't know if this is a statement or a question, but I feel like there's a difference between cleaning and organizing. Yes, absolutely, absolutely. And I feel like that's, you know, that's kind of what um, this whole basically back of book package is all about is more organizing than cleaning yeah, we're not telling you how to wash dishes no and and you know we're not telling you how to like you know take all of your dishes off of the shelves and like how to clean all you know and all the corners and that the kind nooks. of thing yeah i mean you know you should be doing that anyway i guess but really it's like organizing your kitchen doing a kind of like whole 360 take everything out look at it organize it actually makes you a better cook because you know what you have you know what you have it's more accessible you know where it is i can't tell you how many like 
jars of Dijon mustard or bags of lentils I have because I'm like, oh, I need. Do I need to buy lentils? I think I need to buy some lentils. I'm at the store. I'm gonna grab some lentils. You get oh, home totally. and there's like four bags of lentils. You're like, I did not need to buy lentils. You know how many, you know how many bottles of rice wine vinegar I have in oh, my, my cupboard? God. Too many. Well, it's also it's interesting because you end up with a lot of the things that you um, like a lot of iterations of the things that you're afraid to cook without. You know, it's like mm, yeah. we have a lot of jars of mayonnaise. Just because, you know, it's like you're at the store, you're like, oh, do we have mayo? Because you don't want to get home and not have it. Exactly. Yeah. The steaks feel too high. The same thing with like, something like rice wine vinegar. You're steaks? like, steaks? Wait, we're talking uh, steaks? <laughs> <laughs> I literally have three, not exaggerating, three jars of half finished mayonnaise in my fridge right now. Yeah, because you were, sometime last summer, yeah. you were like, gotta have oh, it. I'm, I'm making BLTs. Do we have mayo? And you got All right. So, so let's talk in this, in this, package as we say in the magazine biz uh is that inside baseball people don't say yeah Yeah, you also said back of book which no one is not in publishing knows so that's the back of the magazine um clean up your act is what it's called wow you're a mess the good news winter's over so it's high time you put on your hazmat suit and organize that kitchen starting with the fridge slash freezer I like to be organized i always think i keep a pretty organized office uh here at, at bon appetit that's true my and my wife's fridge slash freezer is borderline disaster area. Yeah. Like, we need to call on FEMA. It's like, it's <laughs> n- I, the, I open the freezer. Again, I have no idea what's in there. Right. I have no idea how long it's been in there. And also, just the way it's structured, I can't see anything. Yeah. Well, you have an unfortunate case where you have the under fridge freezer that you pull out which i feel like the top down everything is piled necessarily it's a lot of piling there's there's always a bottle of like kettle one vodka on a weird angle and i can revert as pizza and then i can't see anything else well i mean i i think that the freezer is tough right because the fridge you know you look in your fridge every day and you know if something you know if something smells bad or like whatever you know that you should you gotta like get in there and clean it out the freezer is a little bit trickier because i think people sometimes treat it as if you put something in the freezer and like, it's in suspended animation like a body or something and yeah it's yeah. just never nothing you don't like have to deal with it <laughs> <laughs> I was thinking about the Sopranos. There's been a lot of Sopranos talk lately. But no, it's like, yeah, you, you stick it in there, I'll deal with it later. Whereas the fridge, you open the fridge, it's right there, eye level in front of you. So with, with the freezer, one thing I've definitely learned since being at BA is that when you put something in the freezer, grab your Sharpie, grab your blue or whatever color masking tape, and label it. Right. And, and say what it is, because like... Bolognese also kind of looks like lentil soup, which also kind of looks like gravy or whatever. Yeah. Say what it is and say what the date is. Like it's March 3, 1919. Absolutely. And and the, the reality is just because you're putting something in the freezer doesn't mean it lasts forever. Yeah. So, you know, ideally, really, you want to get rid of things after, you know, six months or so, a year max. It really depends on what the thing is. And, and I'm not going to say that I've never pulled out like, a three-year-old pack of lamb chops or something that I found in the in like my friend's freezer and cooked them. Please, you know, please do say that. I, I have. It, it's it's true. I, I have done that before. It's just you know the the things will suffer after a certain amount of time. You know, like the the freezers go through yeah. certain cycles. Sometimes they thaw a little bit. They freeze a little bit more. You're so gonna get freezer you, burn. Do you do? Oh yeah, freezer burn. Um, do you do like? I think a lot of us closet wise will certainly do like a. Spring, fall, or whatever, winter, summer, sort of yeah, clean I, out where we sort of rotate our 
I'm not going to be wearing these heavy jackets or suits or whatever in the summer, so I kind of move them someplace else. Do you do that? Do you do a twice a year thing with your freezer? Yeah. So I like to at at least twice a year. Normally, sometime in the spring, sometime in the fall, open the freezer, take everything out, put it on a table. You've got a little, you know, if you're a real freak about it, you can put it in a cooler while you're working, mm. but that gives you a chance to clean, actually clean the freezer. And then you look at all the things that you've had there, things that you bought with like the best intentions in mind, like those chicken thighs that were on sale, or right, the the chicken stock that you made that you knew you were gonna thaw for. I've got know, like lots day. of stock that then gets kind of bulbous as it freezes, mm-hmm. and then gets a little salt crystals on top of the stock, but beneath the top. And mm-hmm. well, and so you take you take a look at all of that. If you pick something up and you're like, you know, I literally don't know what this is, and there's not a date on it because you forgot. Yeah, you're either gonna thaw that and use that tonight. If once you figure it out what it is, or you should just throw it out, you know. Yeah. And then once you're done, you are lo- staring at like limitless possibilities. You, you now you know that you have, you know, those chicken thighs. You know you've got some stock. You know you've got uh you know a package of dumplings that you haven't eaten yet and that you totally forgot about because it was at the back of the freezer. And then make yourself a little list. Just like literally make take, you know a a. You Half a sheet this. of paper. So then, then where do, where does that list live? So you list you you have like a um, not an itinerary but a uh, what's it called? When a list of stuff in a in an, a thing, an index, an index of sorts. Um, so you know exactly what's in there. Will you like tape that somewhere on your fridge? Or what yeah, you do I yeah. I normally just tape it right to the outside of my freezer, and that way when I'm you know and my freezer is kind of at you know eye level, yeah. so you know I get up and you know I'm walking to the fridge, and the first thing I'm going to see is that list, and if I'm like. Oh, I need to buy chicken thighs. I'm cooking tomorrow. I'm like, oh no, actually, I have chicken thighs here. Yeah. Take that out to thaw it, and then cross it off. Cross it. Do you? You can also, mm-hmm. uh, and this is a good trick, also take a picture of that list so you have Ooh, it on your phone. So when you're at the e- store, exactly. That's exactly. so smart. I love that idea. All right, Are, name three things you always have in your freezer besides ice. Three things I always have in the freezer besides ice. Um, I almost always have frozen pelmini from the, which are little Russian veal dumplings uh, that I get in Brighton Beach. They're like just the perfect, you know, I mean, it's kind of like the Russian answer to the, you know, gyoza or. Um, okay, so they're know. more like dumpling style as opposed to like angelotti. They're not like uh, little. You know, they're somewhere in between. Yeah. They're kind of in between an angelotti or mm-hmm. and like a tortellini and mm-hmm. like a gyoza. It's almost kind of like shumai sized. Yeah. Um, but those are great. They're actually like best when they're kept frozen. So that's like a really good, easy dinner sort of situation. You boil them, then you toss them in butter or something mm-hmm. or what? Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Boil them and then either put them into something brothy or. Or get them in a pan full of hot butter because just, maybe you have some chicken stock in your maybe freezer. Maybe some chicken stock. I wish I could say that I was a person who always has homemade stock in the freezer. I don't always. I almost always have. I almost always have meat in the freezer. <laughs> you know, like I've got steaks or chops or like you know a pork shoulder so or something like school. that. Well, I th- I buy a lot of my meat frozen. Yeah, you know, really? if you're if you're buying from kind of smaller farms and things like that, oh, okay. So a lot of times you're not buying. You're buying like so you're buying from Flying Pigs Farm or something at the mark at the green market. You're buying sure. like the grass fed this or that sort of totally. Yeah. And so those are the things you you buy because they look good and you're like I'm not necessarily going to cook these tonight, but yeah. those end up in the freezer. Gotcha. Okay, that's a good point. Um, I'm trying to think of it. You said three things. You know, I never did like, the thing where like, you would read about like in Martha Stewart, love Martha, uh, but like oh use your. Um, 
ice cube containers and fill them with chicken stock so then you can have little portioned out things of chicken. I never did that. Do you yeah, ever do that? No, I've never done that if before. Can, if you're like a real chefy chef, I like that notion. Like, oh, I'm going to drop a couple of cubes of chicken stock into this pasta sauce. But no. Yeah, no, no, I don't really no. do that. I mean, I do. I will say that I, if I do get around to making homemade chicken or beef stock, I like to freeze it in multiple sizes of containers. So maybe you have a, yes. a quart container, a pint container. Maybe you have some half pints. Can I? That's, or, not, that's or, not a good um, piece of advice, if I may. If I mm-hmm. may interject, uh, we've been doing spaghetti and meatball night a lot recently mm-hmm. on Sunday nights and stuff, um, and we typically will make far more than you need. Why not? You know, make twenty-four meatballs, eat six or eight together as a family, and you got the sauce. I always like to take the leftovers and put those in the not the quart containers, but like in three pint takeout things because each one essentially constitutes a meal for two so totally. i don't want to have to defrost a big one only eat half of it then put it in the fridge so yeah always think about what size are, are you cooking typically for two people and if so that should inform the size of the container which you are storing things. totally and likewise if you grab the like you know family pack of you know chicken drumsticks because they're on sale but you're never going to cook 16 chicken drumsticks put them in a plastic bag seal them and freeze them in whatever portion you think you're going to use so like you know maybe four at a time or whatever it's also i also really love freezing things like stock in uh, plastic bags and ziploc bags yeah Yeah. so they can lay flat lay flat say what it is date it we i like to do we also do um uh, so we have like two nights at the Rapper Buck House. Only two nights. My God, everybody yeah. else has seven and you got two? <laughs> yeah, we only got two. Got spaghetti meatball night. Uh, and then we have chicken katsu schnitzel cutlet night, whatever you want to call it. That's a great night. And if you go to the butcher, uh, and you know it does a really good job, and I shout them out a lot, but Dixon's Farm Stand at Chelsea Market, they will pound them thin, each one sort of layered in between the wax paper, you know, mm-hmm. so you have like a, a nice stack of them. Uh, and if I'm going to go get the the cutlets and I'm going to do the little breading station with the flour and egg and katsu, uh, I mean, and panko, um, I'm not going to just do four. Right. I'll do eight or 12, oh. fry up six for me, Marlon and Simone, and then take the other ones and always freeze them. But when you freeze fresh things, put them on a sheet tray first, put those in the freezer, let them freeze. Uh-huh. And then put them in a bag because you don't want them to stack up and get stuck together. Right. Same way, if you ever buy fresh pasta or fresh, you know, little dumplings or whatever, freeze them on a tray. And then once they're frozen, you can then throw them in a Ziploc bag, like a bag of ice cubes. Totally. And that's the the same goes for freezing any kind of fruit or berries or yes. things like that, just so that they're not like they're frozen in their individual state. Exactly. And then when you not get them clump. in there, they're not going to be a clump. Um, all right, I'm getting psyched about the freezer. Uh, organize your fridge like a pro. That was your second point. Uh, mm-hmm. My refrigerator, typically a mess of too many condiments I don't use, uh, some aging dairy products, uh, leftovers from several nights ago that are now like way in the back. And you're like, oh, that was from like nine days ago. I probably don't want to eat that. What am I doing wrong in terms of my fridge organization? Well, I mean, you know, obviously it's like everybody's got their system and whatever works for you works for you. But the thing I think that's most important to think about is where what the temperature zones are. So the top of your never never thought about that top shelf of your fridge is going to be the warmest place. The bottom shelf of your fridge is going to be the coolest place. Like literally. Yeah. And then the crispers hmm. are a little bit of a different story. And the door, the door realistically is the warmest because that's the thing. It's like you're opening it up. 
it's like the closest to the outside. So top shelf is where you're going to want to put your prepared foods, your most of your leftovers, the condiments, things like that. Like the things that are, are already like, you know, if you got a jar of anchovies, I know you don't, but like if you Simone does. Simone does. Yeah. Anchovies, capers, um, things like that, top shelf. Those condiments that are are kind of like already maybe a little bit preserved, pickles, jam, all of those things that kind of on their own are kind of you know, refrigerating them as a bonus, but yeah, they'd probably be they fine for a certain gotcha. amount of time outside gotcha. of the fridge. Okay. Then you got your middle, and the middle is where you, you want your leftovers, and you want to put the oldest in the front, the newest yeah. in the back, so that you know, you, you know, through. yeah, you rotate through. Um, you want your eggs, you want your baking soda, which you should be replacing every month. What? Yeah, I know, I know. I, that's that's aspirational. I do not replace my baking soda every month. Emma over but, here, every, she just shook her head like, yeah, no. Oh, my God. I'll tell you, know, we were in San Diego visiting Does it Lawrence. even work or is it all just a ruse? It, well, I'll tell I'll, – uh, it, it works all right. We were in San Diego visiting Lauren's parents, and we were baking something, and we needed baking soda. and Or maybe we were making a batter or something like that. There was no baking soda in the pantry, and her mom was like, Oh, there's baking soda in the in the fridge in the garage. Mm. And we're like, oh, okay. And we like grabbed it and like literally you you we picked it up, we opened it, and I was like, oh, it'll be fine. And I smelled it and I was like, this smells like old fridge. That's like not it's good. it's it is indeed sucking up the bad smells in your fridge. It costs like two dollars. So it's like it's worth it to just you know, that could be a new cologne. There's like old spice and there's old fridge. <laughs> old fridge. <laughs> uh, so you got your baking soda in there, and then the bottom shelf, which is the coldest part of the fridge, is where you want to put your meats. You know, and you want to have those on a plate or a platter or like a rimmed baking sheet because you know sometimes they're going to leak. And the worst, mm. like you, you know, you've you've lived in a place at some point in your probably like much younger life where there was like some meat on the top shelf and it was dripping down through like <laughs> all of the other shelves and like everything is like you know that's that's what you want to try to avoid and this is also some these are some of the rules that apply to like you know professional kitchens too it's like you want you want the drippy meat to be on the bottom yeah. and in something so it's not going to contaminate everything else that's where you want your milk yep dairy um and then you know and then you've got your drawers you want your you know you want to have your vegetable crisper and your fruit crisper and those actually you do want them separate because the fruits do actually like kind of give off some gases and enzymes that ripen other things so you kind of want to keep those things separate oh so like cats and dogs and stuff we want to separate so the the fruit literally stays separate than the veg yeah wow yeah. interesting and okay. then and then you know and then you've got your cheese drawer as one, ideally as one if, does. if you ha if you have a fridge that has a cheese yeah. drawer like that's you want to keep cheese in there and it's not just because it's called the cheese drawer but because if you've got some gorgonzola in there you don't really want your you know you want to have as much of a barrier between your you know yeah. gorgonzola and your eggs as possible so keeping them in your its own thing is nice. I think in general, the one thing you had mentioned also with like taking knowing what's in your freezer, knowing what's in your cupboards, I I think that's such an important part of it also. I always forget what is in my quote unquote crisper, like mm -hmm. my veg drawer. And I again I can't tell you how many times I've bought a head of parsley where I have parsley at home or I forgot like do I have romaine at home? And I just feel like maybe I just need to be spending more time 
in my fridge looking and paying attention. Yeah. You have a nice little list here. Uh, three things you should slash shouldn't be refrigerating. Uh, is you have take out of the fridge onions, potatoes, tomatoes, of course, never in the fridge, avocados, unless, however, once avocados are ripe, I then put them in the fridge to suspend their ripeness. Sure. Okay. Uh, hot sauce. I always keep hot sauce in the fridge. I don't have to. Look, here's here's what I'll say on hot sauce. I wish we could have dedicated an entire column mm-hmm. to the hot sauce <laughs> thing. It's like hot sauces are most hot sauces because of their composition which is to say like you know very spicy and yep. very acidic they do not necessarily need to be refrigerated they can sit out on the counter the other reality is you have too many hot sauces in your fridge yeah i do you, if like find pick the two that yep. you actually like and use all the time keep them on your counter when you run out go buy more but like having i mean having eight different hot sauces including like four that have like a skull and crossbones no, on you them don't need you don't those. you don't need them so it's like stop waste you know it's it's a it's a precious resource your uh, you say put in the fridge vermouth cuz vermouth is vermouth is wine a wine not a liquor mm-hmm. uh, vinegars yep why well, I mean, vinegars also they're alive. Are, they're alive. I mean, if you're buying good vinegar, it's alive and it is going to kind of change yeah. the longer it sits out. Okay. So if you want to preserve know, it, again, you know, maybe have three vinegars yeah. that you use all the time and I, keep those again, in there. I have ones I never. I, I, mm-hmm. I, yeah, fancy nuts you don't use often. Okay, that preserves them as well. Yeah, if you're gonna buy pine nuts or something like that, oh, or pine nuts, you know, I leave them out. Yeah, and they get all kind of rancidy. Nuts. Yeah, they oh. get they. Yeah. All right, thank you for that. And finally, eye drops. Parentheses, they just feel good. You know that was that was Alex Beggs, uh, the writer for this story. <laughs> who I mean, I, I don't do that, but I'm gonna I'm gonna take her word for it. A um, couple more points before we roll. Uh, we've all got one. The junk drawer. Declare war on the junk drawer. Yeah, because every and it's the fascinating thing about the junk drawer is how similar they are. Even though they just have a random assortment of crap in them, and yet we all have. Oftentimes, the same random assortment of craps. Like, there's that like meat thermometer that you bought eight years ago, and you just bought a new one because you forgot that the eight year ago one was like way in the back of the junk drawer. Yeah, I mean, look, I think the skewers, the, the lots re- of skewers. The reality is, it, so just like take a second and acknowledge that you have a drawer called a junk drawer. Yes. So you don't need junk in your life. No, that is not a thing you need. So th- everything in your junk drawer breaks down into three categories. You have the actual junk. You know, you have like receipts, manuals for appliances you don't own anymore, like those kind of keys that you can't remember what exactly. door they went yeah. to. Throw it out. Yeah. That, it does not spark joy. Throw it out. Two, you have things that are in there that belong somewhere else. You know what I mean? Mm. There is like the, you know, the extra floss belongs in the bathroom. <laughs> the like, you know, your Advil belongs in the medicine cabinet. Like things that just like you you didn't put in the right place yeah, and you threw it in the junk drawer. Up there. And then you have the the things in life that actually have no place, you know, like toothpicks, um, like different chart like electronic charging cords, yeah. like some a few votive candles. 
um, you know, the emergency flashlight and things like that. You can just organize. Yeah, so I like, take, I, I'm a big fan of any of those sort of like Bed Bath Beyond organizing stores where you get the little dividers. Yeah. Stick them in there just so each place has at least a little. Totally. Pool. Or, you know, you can DIY it a little bit if you have like old cell phone boxes, you know, the iPhone boxes that are nice and sturdy Ooh, and low profile. Like yeah. Use those or like even a takeout container or something just to create kind of compartments and then put, you know, the like things, the like things. If you've got the wires and cords, you know, bind them up with rubber bands so that they don't take up too much space. You know, just like acknowledge that you need a place for junk. Yeah, miscellaneous things. Yeah. Do you, uh, let me ask you a little something. Do you save takeout menus or are you fully digital on the takeout delivery? We don't really do that. Oh my God. No, I just. I like to have, like, so there's a couple places I order from. Like, if I'm going to order from Shorty Tang's, getting some noodles and stuff, like, I like to look at the old fashioned takeout menu and go, oh, let's get the stir fry string beans with ground pork. Yeah. Do you and call in your order? I do. That's cool. No, I fully support that. I'm not, and I'm not trying to be like annoying. I just, I probably get delivery like twice a year. <laughs> and we live in New York. It's so you close. Should, you should come to the Rapid Bug House. <laughs> <laughs> All right, finally, uh, number five. Uh, these tools make cleaning easier. Again, we're, now we're doing getting to cleaning, organizing, but it's nice to have cleaning tools. Cleaning your kitchen does indeed suck. <laughs> Nothing will make it fun, but. It can be less agonizing, and the four tools below make a difference. Number one, toothbrush. See, it's weird because I used to keep the toothbrush in my bathroom. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, once you, uh, well, no, I, I'm not, I'm not going to say you should use your worn-out toothbrush no. for this, but you know, get a firm bristled toothbrush. Yes, firm. And for all of those kind of nooks and crannies in your sheet pans, yeah, the sides and, and the corners, you know, yeah, when you, you know, when you like open up your uh, Dutch oven and the lid has that little lip, like it's horrifying because like, you go months without noticing that, and then you look and you're like, oh my god. Well, it's just That's nice disgusting. to have a like something like a toothbrush there to get, it, especially also for like appliances like um like your food processor. Yeah. They're like it's nothing but nooks and crannies. Yeah. Is this? Do I keep that toothbrush in my junk drawer? Uh, I would keep it, you know, in whatever you keep I'm gonna your keep sponge it in, my junk in or whatever. Ooh, I like this one. Number two, hand vacuum. Suck up onion skins and spilled sesame seeds. Yeah, you know that time where you kind of like. It's like a dust buster sort of thing. Yeah, exactly. Like you dump, you know, yes. you spill Everything something, is. a little bit of sugar, and it's like behind the thing. I and have the other an 11-year-old boy. Yeah. There's so, crap everywhere all the time. Exactly. Ooh, this is a nice one I don't have. Putty knife. I love my putty knife. It just lives like right by the sponge. Yeah. And whenever you've got a sheet pan, you roasted something really hard, mm, or you got some like you, stuck on sugar. Or maybe you left it in there longer than you thought you were supposed to, and all of a sudden you smell something burning, and you're like, oh shit. Yeah, yeah totally. That. Just to really get those things up. Yeah, and or yeah, cast iron skillet, getting mm -hmm. those little crispy bits. I love that. Finally. This is so like old school British bottle brush. I know, I know. I mean, it looks like a toilet brush. Yes. Let's just be real about that. But you know, now you can buy a purpose built bottle brush. Oxo makes them; they're great. And it just like you know, you can't, you and I cannot get our hands into even a wide mouth mason jar. You know, it's no. just a little bit too much, or like a water bottle or something like that. Like it, that's the thing you need to get into your decanter, or your whatever. Um, it just makes life easier. Emil Stonic, thank you for joining us today. You can check out Emil and Alex Begg's uh, story in the April issue of Bon Appetit, uh, Clean Up Your Act. It's in the back of the book. Back of the book. <laughs> Thanks, Emil. Thank you. The Bon Appetit Foodcast is produced by Carrie Polis and Christina Che. 
and produced and edited by Emma Wartsman. Our theme music is by Nathaniel Wartsman. We have new episodes every Wednesday, and if you want to tell us about this or any other episode, email us at bonappetitfoodcast at gmail.com. Thanks for listening.